Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're Again, thank you for listening to Mornings with Carmen on this Wednesday. I'm Paul Perot filling in for Carmen. Quick update on Carmen. Uh, yeah, the surgery yesterday to remove the melanoma went well. She's doing well, resting at home. I think she actually may head over to her uh, family's, they call it the mountain house. It's a little cabin they have over in Georgia, which could be getting some heavy rains thanks to Hurricane Ian or the remains by the time it uh, gets up there. So, But she's doing well. Thank you for your prayers. Continue to pray for her quick recovery. She should be back here on Monday. Well, we've been urging you, starting this week, to join us in reading the Bible together. We're reading through the book of First Peter. We have a study guide. We have some special podcasts that you can find if you join the study. And you can do that right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Today, now we started on Monday. Tell you what, you you can join any time and work at your own pace. It really is not a problem. But if you're with us at the in the study, we're on day number three, looking at First Peter chapter two, verses one through twelve. I want to read a portion of that again because it's about reading the Bible together. Remember, yesterday I was talking about dealing with suffering well and living um, in accord with God, and then so. In chapter 2, verse 1, so get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealous, and all unkind speech. Wow. It's not, I just kind of tap it down a little bit. Be done with it. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation, crying out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. It does go on there. That's just the first uh, five verses of this passage. And I hope you are joining us. You know, I look at this whole thing. It's interesting how Peter adds the term living to the cornerstone because Jesus called himself the chief cornerstone. Peter added the word living, and then he adds it to us. Just like Jesus, the cornerstone, which is that key stone, that that important stone when you're laying a building, especially in that in that part of the world, the way they did building, it had to be just right because it set the tone for the rest of the foundation and the rest of the building. If the cornerstone was defective, it could lead to a you know disaster of a building. But no, he was chosen by God, and then we are laid in. We are being built in to what God is doing. This the spiritual temple, such a vivid vivid picture and that's actually where the study guide is a good chunk of it is focused on so hopefully you get that study guide again sign up for the study at myfaithradio.com 
Com. Looking at some of the news headlines and being, prayer, being in prayer about it, if you haven't heard yet, Russia, they were doing this, this uh, referendum at gunpoint in the Russian provinces that they're occupying, and they said, hey, the people there want to join Russia, and so they're going to try and annex, annex, annex the country. So that is leading to more political and geopolitical issues here, plus... This is interesting. It happened yesterday. Um, there was a pipeline explosion. The Nord Stream pipeline that goes under the water from Russia to uh, Western Europe. And I, I, I guess there was, uh, there was a couple of explosions, or at least what seemed to be. And as a matter of fact, the seismologist from, from, uh, from Sweden says, we know the difference between an earthquake and an explosion. Those were explosions, and there's concerns that Russia may have sabotaged it ahead of fall and winter as the the natural gas is so needed in Europe for heating homes and such. Is this a way of causing more panic and getting the Western Europe to give up their defense or their care for Ukraine? Keep that in prayer. Also keeping in prayer our friends down south in Florida as they're dealing with Hurricane Ian. And, you know, since we're talking about you know, weather type stuff. That's sciencey stuff. So Heather Zeiger, who is our science reporter here, well, actually she's a science reporter, but likes to join us here on Faith Radio. We're going to go over some science headlines about Hurricane Ian and also a move to cancel some research based upon ideology. We'll talk about that here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. science and technology. Heather, hopefully you can not blind us, actually help us see a bit better. Hey, good morning. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot. Heather, thank you again for joining us here to talk over the sciencey kind of stuff. Good to be here, Paul. It's good to have you. Of course, big science right now when it comes to meteorology with, uh, well, now Hurricane Ian, which is just off the coast, hopefully, well, I shouldn't say hopefully, but later today make, making landfall in in uh, Florida. Now, Let's get to the science behind some of these hurricanes. I mean, why do they develop so strong? I'm a Minnesota boy, and tornadoes, you know, they're hit and miss. They're scary enough. Hurricanes just totally freak me out. Yeah, so um, I'm in Texas, and as you know, Texas borders the Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is hurricanes, uh, the Atlantic hurricanes, They'll form somewhere in the Atlantic off the western coast of Africa. They move uh, east to west, uh, just like the sun. So it's, they're moving along with the rotation of the earth. And they're moving along these warm waters. So the warmer the water, the stronger the hurricane. I read somewhere, and I really like this analogy, that hurricanes are kind of like engines in that they take thermal energy, the heat from the water, and turn it into mechanical energy. Hmm. So the hotter the water the stronger the hurricane, the faster it's spinning. So that's why we tend to get these very, occasionally get these very strong hurricanes that occur around this time of year in the Gulf of Mexico, where the water is very warm. So right now we have very warm water 
in the Gulf of Mexico. And so Ian moved into the Gulf and it's probably going to be around, uh, they're predicting a category four hurricane by the time it hits the Western coast of Florida. And just by way of review, so category four, that's somewhere around 130, 156 miles per hour. Hmm. <laughs> that's fast. I heard some hope that it might weaken a little bit as it uh, gets closer to land. Um, so even if it does weaken, it might be upper three to lower four is the last I heard. Um, actually, okay, we were talking about Ian right now last week, and Carmen's Mom and stepdad, they were planning a trip up to, and they went up to, uh, went up to uh, Canada for a fall colors tour. They're going to go uh, around Nova, Nova Scotia on a boat cruise. And that had to be canceled, at least after they got there. The boat cruise was canceled because of what were the remains of Hurricane Fiona going so far north. Is that, mm-hmm. how often does that happen? Yeah, so that is much less common. So you're usually seeing hurricanes within the warm waters that are surrounding the equator. So, you know, Gulf of Mexico, as much as we hate hurricanes, we're kind of used to the fact that hurricane season, we're going to we're gonna see some evidence of hurricanes. They often don't hit um, land, you know, through the Atlantic. Going up the coast of the United States, yes, we've had that before. Usually, by the time it gets to Canada, you're not in hurricane category here. So that was interesting that Fiona had enough energy behind it and the waters were warm enough that it was able to make it all the way to Canada. So that's a, that's pretty unusual. There was also the typhoon that hit the uh, western part of, of Alaska the week prior to that. It's, they're getting more of these uh, storms up that way. Yeah, yeah. So Alaska has had a couple of storms. And um, one website that I like to look at, and they they draw from uh, satellites and from NOAA, is windy.com. And so I'm on windy.com, and you can track some of these storms. And I noticed, uh, I guess it was last week, that um, there was a there was a typhoon in the Pacific that had veered towards Alaska. And again, that really that's a colder waters where you're not you shouldn't be getting quite enough energy mm-hmm. to create a hurricane or a typhoon yeah there must be a lot of oomph behind it before it even gets that yeah. far so, yeah no actually person just texted in a question this is a good one because uh, of course minnesota and uh, the plains we we get tornadoes so they're asking okay I, in tornadoes there's the f categories and f0 f1 f2 f for by comparison what F category of tornado would have 130 mile an hour winds? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would think it is closer to like an F5. Oh, yeah. And those are nasty. So those are the ones. Yeah. So I'm in North Texas. And so we are very familiar with tornadoes. And so these are the ones that cause lots of damage, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that are pretty dangerous. But yeah, so I'm guessing that is around an F4, F5. So these are the very strong, uh, strong tornadoes. Now right. keep in mind that um, tornadoes are, they move along the ground while hurricanes, they tend to weaken as they, as they uh, come onto land. Now this hurricane Ian is very strong. So it's going to remain probably a category one or so as it goes across Florida. So that's a big difference between tornadoes and why tornadoes can cause some a different kind of damage from hurricanes. Yeah. We're talking with Heather Zeiger, who is a uh, freelance science writer, also part of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. When we continue, 
this past weekend in space, something really cool where an asteroid was – there was an attempt to deflect an asteroid as a way of hopefully in the future defending the Earth from any such impact. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot filling in. Thank you again for listening to Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio, talking sciencey things. I'm Paul Perot, and talking with Heather Zeiger, who's a science writer out of Dallas. And okay, one more hurricane related question, Heather. Uh, Rick texted in asking, okay, what's the difference? between a hurricane and a typhoon? Yeah, so that, that's a good question. Um, hurricanes and typhoons are the same thing. So are cyclones. So the scientific name is tropical cyclone. All of these things are tropical cyclones. Where it's located is how you know what the name is. So hurricanes are in the Atlantic Ocean or they're on the uh, U.S. or America side of the Pacific Ocean, so mm-hmm. the eastern side of the Pacific Ocean. Typhoons are in the Pacific Ocean towards the western side, so the Asian side, okay, like Asian coast. And then in, in the Indian Ocean, they just call those cyclones. Oh, okay. They, mm-hmm. they don't want to differentiate. They're, they're, yeah. they're nonpartisan. They just, those, yeah. <laughs> For some reason, some somehow, somewhere, they decided these are the names. And it's based totally on location. These are all the same type of storm. All right. That, good clarification. Thanks, Heather. Okay. Have you ever seen the movie Armageddon with Bruce Willis and I forgot who else was in that, Liv Taylor? Ever see that movie? Yeah. You I know? saw it in theaters. Ah, back in the day, back in, I never yeah. saw it in the theater. I've seen it on TV yeah. many times. It's, it's, it, it's a, it's an interesting movie where they send up a bunch of oil rig people to help plant a nuclear bomb in an approaching asteroid to deflect it or at least break it apart before it hits the earth and causes mass extinction kind of thing. That's something, you know, scientists have been concerned about. You know, we had in the past an asteroid hitting, which caused a Actually, we've had many asteroids, some that have caused major damage. So defending the Earth against asteroids and such, that's been a hope for scientists for some time, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a concern that in the event that an asteroid hits the Earth, this could cause catastrophic damage. It, it could, you know, wipe out populations. So this has been a concern of NASA uh, for some time. And so uh, they've recently made some efforts to address the potential. Just to be clear, there's no threat of an asteroid approaching Earth at this time, but they have made efforts to address the potential, what they would do in the event that an asteroid was barreling towards Earth. And so over over the weekend, they did one of these tests. Tell us about it. Yeah, so this is a neat test. They wanted to see if they could launch a probe 
impact an asteroid. So the probe is about the size of a, I think the Wall Street Journal compared it to a school bus and an asteroid that's like the, the, compared to the Washington Monument. If they could impact an asteroid and change its trajectory. So this is a $325 million mission. Um, the probe is called the DART probe, mm-hmm. stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. And the, this asteroid, did, there was no chance of it hitting Earth. But the neat thing about this asteroid is that it was orbiting another asteroid. And why that's neat, so the hmm. asteroid's name is Dimorphos, and it was orbiting another asteroid called um, Didymos, I believe, about 7 million miles away from Earth. What's really neat about this is, uh, is that it's mathematically clever. They wanted to check if their DART probe could, could impact an asteroid, get it off track. So what they did was they made sure to hit an asteroid that was orbiting another asteroid so then they can check the orbit, oh. the change in the orbit. Exactly. And so then the change in the orbit would tell them how much of an impact their probe had. So this is a way to test it in a, in a way that is measurable and, uh, and doesn't, doesn't cause any harm to Earth or anything like that. But then they're able to study exactly what happened. So what happened? I mean, how much of a – was it significant enough for them to say, yeah, this was successful? Yeah, so far, so they're going to have to study these things, but so far they believe it was a success. Um, so they this probe barreled into the asteroid. It was going something like 14,000 miles per hour. And because of a delay in signal, they weren't able to control it themselves. So they had to first design like an onboard navigation system that pretty much uh, was it self-navigated to the to the asteroid. So everything had to be calculated. Everything had to be timed. And so far, they say it's a success. Cool. So uh, they need to see just how much uh, how much that asteroid has diverted from its orbit to say, okay, now we know what an impact will do. Okay, we have only a few more minutes. This probably should have been more time. My bad. Time management is an important thing on, on a, when you're doing a radio show. But there was a, there was an article that both you and I saw, and I actually saw a second one. This one from a writer called Jesse Single where he was concerned about some research being retracted or even if the science behind it was solid, retracted because it might offend people or an ideology. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that and your what your thoughts are on it? Yeah, so I looked up the nature uh commentary that he was referring to. Yes. And this this is right up my bioethics alley because – um, what the commentary is doing is it uses a lot of these ethics terms like informed consent, beneficence, non-maleficence, referring to um, the Declaration of Helsinki, the Declaration of Human Rights. But it's kind of twisting the meaning here. So instead of talking about informed consent of individual participants in research, which is important, this is important that uh, whoever is participating in research, that they are fully informed we mitigate harms. We make sure the research is beneficial. Instead of individuals, they're now referring to entire population groups. Hmm. So people, so they, the nature commentary wants to make sure that they, they will, I guess, unilaterally decide not to publish research that might hurt people groups. And we're talking about, uh, based on race, sex, gender, sexual orientation, all of these things. Um, it's very nonspecific. 
So it's a little unclear what it means by harms, um, but they mention words like things that might stigmatize. Um, one of the considerations, uh, one of the things that I think uh, several of these commentators are concerned about is that first line, although academic freedom is fundamental, it is not unbounded. And then it goes from there. Um, so anyway, yeah, as a, as an ethicist, I'm, I'm really, cons I don't like the non-specificity and I, I kind of wonder, are the editors of this magazine deciding for themselves that they will then become the surrogate decision makers on behalf of entire populations? So since we're using words like informed consent, if someone cannot consent for themselves, you have a surrogate decision maker, and that's usually individuals. So now we're using informed consent. We're referring to an entire population group. Uh, I guess the editors have taken it upon themselves to become the surrogate decision makers for what constitutes harm for an entire population, since we can't feasibly get consent from an entire population. Um, I don't really understand why. I I. I I don't understand what constitutes something being um, censored or something not being published as it seems very vague to mm -hmm. me. Okay. Something to keep an eye on, right? Yes. Definitely. Yes, definitely. All right. Heather, thank you again for joining us on Mornings with Carmen. Hopefully in a couple of weeks you can talk with Carmen herself. So. Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right. Blessings. Thanks again for listening to Mornings with Carmen. And right now, let's check in with John Stone Street and Breakpoint. This is Mornings with Carmen. And kind of a sad note, I, I saw this this morning, yesterday... On Vanderbil, you probably better know him as Brother Andrew, the Bible, or God's Bible smuggler. He was a former soldier fighting in Indonesia, became a Christian as he read the Bible after being wounded in battle. He later became one who smuggled Bibles into the former Soviet bloc. Well, yesterday he passed away. At the age of 94, now the current head of Open Doors, the organization he founded, uh, CEO Dan Olishani, said he lived for Christ. He has died in Christ. Looking forward to meeting him again in person um, someday. So prayers for the family of Brother Andrew and his friends as, again, dying yesterday at the age of 94. Well, 25 years ago, next month on the 4th, where were you? If you're a, a man, maybe you were in Washington, D.C., along with a million or so other people for a major event of prayer. We're going to reflect on the 25th anniversary of Stand in the Gap from Promise Keepers. Uh, Ken Harrison from Promise Keepers joining us in just a few moments here on Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. Carmen's out. I'm Paul Perot filling in. Where were you 25 years ago? 
I remember at that time, 1997, I was living in Wisconsin, working at a Christian radio station in the Wausau-Stevens Point area, the church I was involved with really engaged with an organization called Promise Keepers. I remember in the years prior to this, they were sending lots of men to these various Promise Keepers events. And and then 25 years ago, next week, October 4th, if I remember right, there was a big event in Washington, D.C., Stand in the Gap. 25 years. I'm still trying to take it in. Uh, we were having the line right now, Ken Harrison. He's the current CEO of Promise Keepers. He's also the author of Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. Ken, where were you 25 years ago? You know, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't there. You weren't there. I wasn't there either. I, but I do remember watching it because it was such a big thing, watching it on C-SPAN. Do you know that that was the biggest gathering in the history of Washington, D.C.? Really? 1.4 million men came together. And if you go today into the headquarters of the park police, there's a picture of that event because it is, it is held up as the perfect gathering ever. When those guys left, the the entire mall was completely clean. They, they actually cleaned up all the litter after themselves. <laughs> They actually say there that there was not a gum wrapper left on the ground when one and a half million guys left. You know, you see these these other groups come along, environmentalist groups and all this, and they leave the place in tons of trash. When when we had one and a half million Christian men get together, it was left completely clean. That was an amazing event, and I guess what I what really shocked me, and it wasn't a it wasn't about political power. Is it still there, Ken? Yeah, I lost you okay. there for a second. Yeah, just for a second. Was, the gathering, it wasn't about political power. Tell us about what actually happened there. Yeah, it was simply seven hours of worshiping Christ, and there was zero political stuff going on. And it was it's funny. It was really the first—people talk a lot about diversity today. Um, that was the first time where there was true diversity that mm. came together in the United States. When we had American Indians from, from many of the tribes up there on stage— um, every race, creed, color. It was a, uh, and it, but it was about Christ. It wasn't about look how diverse we are. It was about look at what heaven's going to look like. Mm, yeah. Now, you at Promise Keepers are putting together something, or have put together something to help remember that event. Um, it's going to be a special video, right? Uh, it is. It's an hour-long documentary. Because there's amazing stories that came from that. I mean, yeah. uh, there there were there were airplanes where the entire planes were full of guys who went to the event. And one of the stories is that one of the flight attendants, upon seeing all these guys, she was actually freaked out. I mean, <laughs> there's 160. It's all middle-aged men, right, on this plane, and then realized that they were all Christians. And she was leading them in hymns, and they sang <laughs> songs the entire flight until they landed. And guys talk about how incredible this flight was that went home. And there were trains where they, the guys rented trains and filled the trains full of people. Um, one of my close friends, they took 30 uh, boys from the ghetto of New Orleans who had no fathers in really bad place and 30 businessmen. And he talks about how on the drive from New Orleans to DC, nobody talked to each other because everyone was scared of each other. And on the way back, they were praising the Lord and hugging each other and when we had the Promise Keepers event in Dallas last year, they had their 24-year, 
anniversary where those boys now 24 years older and those men all got together and came to promise keepers. And now they're all <laughs> friends. I mean, it's amazing with all the stories that came from that. That is any other stories. I mean, when you have a big event like that, where God is moving, it's just you, the afterglow effects are, can be so wonderful. You know, it's in, it's in, I mean, in all soberness, um, they are. And, a lot of men have lived their lives on that moment. I mean, 25 years ago was the greatest moment of their life. I've heard this so many times. I've heard, you know, kids that were nine or 10 that went with their fathers who say that was the first time my dad ever told me he loved me. And now they're 35 and, and they look back on that. But it's important that we don't try to recreate the mountaintop moments of, of the Lord. It's important that nostalgia stays nostalgia. Mm. We don't keep looking back. And that's really part of the point of this documentary is this was amazing. What are you doing now? That, that's really the point. Mm. I, now, that is a very profound point because um, the mountaintops, yes, great. But going forward, um, we're talking with Ken Harrison of Promise Keepers. And again, the 25th anniversary, Stand in the Gap, the uh, video. You're going to have that up at promisekeepers.org? We will, yes. Okay. And it's all free. Everything's free. Okay. Good. I, I want to turn our attention because you're, you're right. Wonderful things came about. But since then, okay, I'm, I'm part of a church, Ken, that is uh, a large church. We have a huge women's ministry. And yet the men's ministry, they had a big kickoff this past weekend for they're trying to put some new emphasis on it. But I've noticed in a lot of churches, too. The women's ministry can be strong. Why is there, in your estimation, you're, you, you minister to men. That's what Promise Keepers is about, and encouraging and discipling men. What do you think is the struggle? You know, Paul, this is, um, this is a major struggle, and it won't, won't change unless men and churches um, are proactive about it. So when you, when you just look at history, all right, I mean, no, let me give a 30-second sort of walk down history lane. Yeah. Men had to be together in interdependent communities to survive. Right. So you had to come into a gather town and somebody's a blacksmith and somebody was a farmer and somebody shoot horses or whatever. And I had to bring my skills to the town and I had to depend on you, whether I liked you or not. We we had to get together because we needed each other. And so men had relationships for all time. Now, with all the technology and whatnot, I can live my life and never talk to you. I can call DoorDash and I can watch TV and I can be on the internet and I can even feel manly. I can go on the internet and say horrific, horrible things to people and act like I'm some sort of man because no one's going to punch me in the face. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we have, we have living in a society where men um, who need to be together in independent, dependent communities don't need each other. So they don't know what to do. So we live in an epidemic of the friendless American male. Mm. Men have no friends. And so women are naturally social creatures. Women will always get together. You move into a new neighborhood, the woman runs up with a, a, a pie or whatever and says, you know, welcome to the neighborhood. You, a man doesn't do that. And so in the church, you know, Rick Burgess, he does the Rick and Bubba show, famously talks about one church where the women's ministry budget is $65,000 a year. And for the men, it's four hundred. And the 400 is one breakfast they do every year to get together with the men. So we have to be proactive. And I would say, um, to women listening, be proactive about your men having relationships and they have to be around doing something together. Men, men getting together for Bible study at 630 in the morning every Friday isn't going to do it. Mm. That's great. But men need to get together on common interests. If you golf, get together with golfers. If you fish, if you hunt, if you play basketball, if you like to read, um, whatever it is, 
get together with men who are of common interests and let God come from the relationship. But men need to do feel like they're accomplishing something together. And this is why, you know, the, the big social thing today is guys get together and go to a football game and they stay out there all day and they get drunk and then they run around saying our team won as if they somehow accomplished something. Because <laughs> they need to feel like they accomplished something to get together. Mm. And it really is the nexus of the problem. Mm. We're talking with uh, Ken Harrison from Promise Keepers, also the author of Dare, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World. When we continue, let's talk a little bit more about some of these organizations or some of the efforts to bring men together around common interest as a discipleship methodology, a discipleship tool. So we'll continue in just a moment. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot, filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Paul Perot. We're talking right now with Ken Harrison about men's ministries, about Promise Keepers. Again, uh, there's a 25th anniversary video going up next week at promisekeepers.org. Stand in the gap 25 years ago. What was it, Ken? Four point, uh, 1.4 million men on That's the right. Washington Mall. All completely unsupervised. <laughs> <laughs> but they were getting together for something big. They were getting together out of a common interest, a common cause. And we were just talking about that because men's ministries, you're right. It's not that we shouldn't study the Bible. We better be studying the Bible. But there, for a lot of men, there needs to be something more. And we were talking about, you know, finding those, I, I guess, common cause or common interest issues one thing you and I both read, it was an article this past weekend by David French at The Dispatch talking about a short history of men. He was talking partly about an organization called F3, which gets men together bright and early in the morning for for workouts, and then they also spend time in fellowship and prayer and such. And that's just one form. You see, not that they don't do the Bible study, but there's something else as a draw, Right. That's right. I mean, like those guys are getting around, together around fitness and they feel like they're accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. I do think, I mean, some men are, are obviously much more social than others. I mean, there's some guys who are always looking for where's the gathering of people with a big smile. <laughs> on their face. For most men, what's the point? Why are we here? What are we doing? What are we accomplishing? And I think for those guys, they're accomplishing getting in shape together and then they do Bible study. And there's something about that that really... Um, is what gets men together because of what we'd mentioned earlier about how men had in history always had to be together with skills to accomplish something to survive. Mm, Yeah, exactly. And then 
finding ways of connecting with us. I, I think of a friend who has a auto repair business slash ministry because they help uh, those who are don't have the means to get their cars repaired. And uh, this is a friend of mine up in the Wausau area, or pardon me, up in the Fargo area, who who does that. And it really becomes a a gathering of men. Yes, they're they're all Christians. They work together. They encourage each other, pray with each other, but they also do something. What are some of the other ways? Hopefully, Promise Keepers is uh, encouraging these connections. Yeah, it's funny, Paul, because this iteration of Promise Keepers, we did have a huge gathering at Dallas Cowboy Stadium last yeah. year. But that's not the primary thing this time. This time, because of technology, our primary thing is our app. And everyone has an app, but ours actually is a is a really significant app with many, many tens of thousands of men on it all over the globe who talk to each other constantly. The usage mm. is high. The average time on the app by guys who are on it is three times that of Facebook. The The average usage from all the men signed up on the app is at least a third of them use it every week. It's it's huge. The idea is to get men in a community, to get men to be able to talk, and boy, it's crazy. I mean, I, I three o'clock in the morning, you'll see all these chats going on, and chats about, hey, my, my daughter says she's transgender. What do I do? Hey, I struggle with finances. You know, what do I do? And and all these guys coming along with scripture. And so the app is really important through Promise Keepers. Promisekeepers.org, there's a massive amount of free, incredible stuff on there because this is men talking to men. We're, we understand that our position is to say things to other men that you can't necessarily say in church, that you, you wouldn't say. So we had an hour-long program we put on. 250,000 people watched it virtually on sexual integrity. It's an mm-hmm. hour long. And after that, there's a 30-day intense challenge on getting off pornography. We had 5,000 men go through that. And the testimonies are, are, they'll bring tears to your eyes about guys who have been locked in the poison and the addiction of pornography who are healed now. Because we're not messing around. We're not trying to be nice. We're, we're trying to be kind with God's words. But the Bible says if you see your brother in sin, rebuke him. And if he asks for repentance, forgive him. And if he sins seven times a day, re, 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 you forgive him seven times a day. That's the idea of promise keepers here. Relationship, but men talking to other men about, hey, get your stuff straight and and get going and stop mm-hmm. your whining. It's, this is what we need in our culture because we've lost it, man. We've, You and I had that when we were growing up. Get up, mm-hmm. stop your and get going. And um, we don't have many men doing that anymore. Exactly. Um, has this led to, you know, the, the app? Say somebody's on the app and they find out, hey, uh, Joe just lives across town, and so does Ken. And so they start getting together in person. And that's the idea. You just nailed it. That's exactly what we're trying to do globally. And so um, where we're strong, it has. we have a lot of groups getting together, people finding each other across town. It's funny. Man. We, had, we had guys finding each other over a cigar smoking club. <laughs> okay. You know, guys are getting together and smoking cigars and, and doing Bible study together. Um, not, it's not my thing, but more power to them. At least they're getting into the Word together and, and encouraging each other that way. We have just a few minutes left, and there's something coming up later, well, next month. I think it's on the 25th. It's something called Carried that'll be on the Promise Keepers website. Tell us about that. Yeah, this one is another virtual um, event. We'll have another quarter of a million people watching it live. Plus, and that doesn't include, it'll be shown on CBN and the stream um, many times as well. It's on mental health. And when I say mental health, I mean depression, grief, guilt, um, suicide. 
There will be 127 uh, suicides today in the United States. 80% of those will be middle-aged men. And so carried deals with those issues that are plaguing men. And again, men talking to men in a very direct way and a follow-up afterwards for guys who really are suffering on these issues to get healing. And, you know, in my book, A Daring Faith in a Cowardly World, I do talk about um, how we will be judged for what we did as Christians. So I talk about how Ephesians 2, 8, 9, they're the famous verses that say that, you know, your, your salvation is a gift from God and it's not from works. But Ephesians 2, 10 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And the important thing about that is that what that verse says is that each one of us, you, Paul, and me, and Carmen, and everybody else, at the foundation of time, God gave a specific set of good works for us individually to accomplish, and he gave us the gifts to accomplish them. How powerful is that? And I think men need to hear that message. Your life matters. It matters greatly. There is a task that God gave you to accomplish with your life. And as you follow him and seek him in, in scripture and prayer, that will be revealed to you. So don't commit suicide. Don't check out. You may have sinned and massively screwed up, but whatever that is, get on your knees, repent. God is gracious and just and will forgive you, First John 1, 9, and get back in the game because people are counting on you. You know, I look at the page you have for uh, Carried on your website at promisekeepers.org, and you started off, there would be no Troy Aikman without Michael Irvin. There would be no Frodo without Sam. There would be no <laughs> King David without Jonathan. Going back to Frodo and Sam, I mean, talk about, you know, Sam, apart from just being an immensely faithful guy, he wasn't anything special, at least outwardly. And oftentimes we think, okay, I don't have anything. Huh. Faithfulness is a big thing, isn't it? Man, you just—that's the greatest novel ever written. No joke. Thanks. <laughs> I just read it for the third time again. I mean, Sam Gamgee, right? He—he he is the epitome of of every man of the average show, and he's the one that keeps Frodo going. If it wasn't for, for Sam, none of that would have happened. And if my wife could hear me talking right now, she'd be like, "Oh man, you're geeking out on Lord of the Rings again." <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. And that's the thing. People say, well, I, I don't run Promise Keepers. I don't write books. I don't have a radio show. What can I do? God gave you specific gifts to accomplish what he called you to accomplish. And it may be raising godly kids. It may be getting involved in your local school board and saying, what are you teaching our kids? It may be standing up boldly at work and saying, this is wrong. It may be a lot of things. You don't have to be famous. And that's a problem we have in America, especially men. We look at the guy on the stage and we think, oh, I, look at that guy. We worship them. Stop that. God, Jesus said those who are, are faithful in small things will be given bigger things to do. Be faithful in the little things in front of you today, and God will give you bigger things to do tomorrow. Be faithful in the small, and God will give you the bigger in time. So that's a good reminder. Hey, Ken, thanks for joining us. Um, check out Ken's book called uh, – a daring faith for in a cowardly world. Check out promisekeepers.org about carried and also this uh, 25th anniversary video about stand in the gap that happened 25 years ago. I'm still shaking my head, Ken. 25 years. Oh, still shaking Promise my head. Promisekeepers.org and everything is free. Yes, yes. And check out the Promise Keepers app. That actually, I'm going to have to go check that out later today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate it, man. All right. This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. Thank you again for listening. This
This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. I'm Paul Perot. Peg Kohler. Peg Kohler is 99 years old right now. When she was growing up, she was an only child. Oh, she hated it. You know, she was lonely. It was hard finding people to join her and play outside. And so when she grew up, she didn't want that to happen to her kids. She wanted a big family. She and her late husband, William, did just that. They had 11 kids. Those kids had 56 grandkids for for Peg. And now, as of September 19th, 101 great-grandchildren and counting Peg. <laughs> Congratulations. Hey, I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening. I'll be back tomorrow filling in for Carmen here on Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. Remember, all the podcasts, you'll find that later today of this show and all the others at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.